The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Gympie Central Medical Centre, Gympie Foam and Rubber, Luscious Leaks and BePositive.com.au. In this episode, I get to chat with a man who uses his uncanny likeness to carve out a living as a Freddie Mercury impersonator. John Blunt fronts a band known as the Killer Queen Experience and tours all over the world, keeping the memory of the legendary Queen frontman alive. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's Over the Bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? John Blunt, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thank you very much, Mark, for having me. A lot's happening at the moment. We've just been uh, told that Brisbane is in lockdown. Yeah, I know. I just got off the phone to my father. He uh, rang me not long after we got here and said, uh, we're in lockdown. So I think I saw it coming when, uh, unfortunately, the individual was roaming around where I live. It's pretty much where I live, you know. So I just was like, oh, no. And that's the uh, the key word of this year. It's uncertainty. Like, we get asked a lot with our show, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? And we say, well... We don't know. Anything could happen. So, I mean, it's only three days, but uh, yeah, it's it's extremely annoying and frustrating. How will it affect you? Well, uh, it probably won't affect us uh, too much um, because we don't have any gigs this weekend, but it does seem to upset the um, attendance or the level of people we can have in, in uh, whether it be auditoriums or pubs. That seems to they reduce the amount or the percentage of people. I think now in most or some places it's 50% in theatres or it might be 75% of, uh, in, in clubs and pubs, but it, it can affect it that way, you know, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see, who knows. I think this is the UK strain too. So anyway, we'll, we'll find out, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're lucky, we're in the lucky country. I mean, there are people over, I've got friends in America and friends in uh, London and they are doing it way tougher. So I shouldn't whinge, I shouldn't whinge, I suppose. But yeah, they're doing it heaps tougher than us. How are they dealing with it? There's a lot of disturbing posts that I see go up about people not coping and it looks, you know, uh, a lot of my friends are in the tribute business and I can hear them sort of, well, I can read what they're saying that uh, it could mean retirement for them. Like they just don't know when they're gonna go back to work or when they can, open up places so yeah it's distressing and uh it's a funny old place we're living in at the moment it really is quite it feels like a bad movie or or a sequel to the bad movie (laughs) but uh i'm hoping next year will be better i think a lot of people thought that when when we enter 2020 that'll be the end of covid you know it's a new year that'll be the end of it but it's it's still with us so but anyway unfortunately this is the uh time and place that we're living in now so we just got to live with it unfortunately will you get vaccinated yeah well they're talking about a vaccinated passport or something uh, which means if you have this passport that says you've been vaccinated you can go into certain places that's what they're looking at in the uk too but yeah i mean i, I guess if we have to we have to but we'll, we'll see what happens you know see how bad it gets here like i said we're in the lucky country here at the moment in fact i went into a shop in Coolangatta. And it was just all old props and memorabilia and things like that. I can't remember the name of it now. But uh, I said to the owner, you know, do you get many uh, movie people coming in here, like producers and props, people looking for uh, props and things? And he said, mate, all the time and apparently the next five years, um, 
Queensland have been booked, or and New South Wales have been booked for um, Marvel movies, the Avenger movies. So, so everyone's making movies here because it's the safest place on the earth at the moment. So, well, Tom Hanks got it here, though. Yeah, yeah, I know that was just because yeah, he got COVID. I think when he landed here, I think he got COVID. But anyway, yeah, we'll just see how it all plays out. Hopefully, it'll get better sooner rather than later. Does it worry you the effect that it's having on the entertainment industry? Oh, it's it's having a massive effect, yeah, a huge effect. It's frustrating because you kind of get back to normal or a somewhat uh, normal. And then, uh, as I keep saying, the, the, the key word at the moment is uncertainty. So, But we'll get there, hopefully. Are we lucky, though, that we are in Queensland? You're a Queensland boy, but you've yeah. been all over the world. How does Queensland rate for you to other parts of the world? We've been lucky. We've been able to tour quite a bit. We've been to a lot of places. And uh, Queensland's just, just got so many... Uh, there's just a variety of things you can do here. I mean, there's there's snow in certain places. There's uh, deserts and beaches and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place to live. But we've been very lucky to be able to compare it to other places. We, we, we went to Moscow, I think, in 2019. It was a... a um, bank executive or something i can't remember now and uh yeah he flew he sent us an email and said well his personal assistant sent us an email and said they'd like to have have us come to moscow and we said have you got the right queen show there's a few of us around the place and he said yeah yeah no we we googled you that was strange because we packed jumpers we didn't even bother looking at you know whether you know what the weather was like over there and ever when we landed we were it was so hot it was like it felt (laughs) like we were back in queensland we were like we're in we're in saint petersburg here so, um, yeah, I like Singapore. We've been we, we to Singapore a few times. That's a beautiful place, Singapore. It's so clean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, some places. Uh, some places are, are just absolutely beautiful, though. We were supposed to go to Singapore. I'm, I'm actually naming the places we were supposed to go uh, in 2020. But um, hopefully, uh, yeah, we go over there, I think, once every two years to Singapore to do a beer festival. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get back back there soon. We love Singapore. It's great. Just getting back to Russia, because not many people have been there. How mm. does it differ to most places in the world that you've been to? Well, we were only there for about two days. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, we, we'd love to have stayed for maybe a week, but we weren't there long enough to sort of soak up much stuff. But we, we were on a tour bus, and there was a lady who was from the event that was basically like a tour guide. And she basically ran down some very interesting stories. We, we passed a pub and she said there was uh, when the, I think it, was, it would have been the Germans were invading. Oh, wow. They were invading in the dead of winter and their tanks were running on petrol and they all froze, like all the petrol froze or something. And the uh, Russian tanks were running on diesel, so they didn't freeze. And this particular pub was where uh, Hitler was going to have a victory party. And he sent in invitations for this victory party, and it never happened. And I can't remember the name of the letter. It was in German, but they named it after this letter, this victory party that never happened. So, But, yeah, we didn't get a chance to really soak it up. We were, we were very I, – I jokingly say we spent more time in the air than we did on the ground, so – to, to get there but um, it was beautiful Absolutely how was beautiful. the Russian audience um, it was mixed because it was um, it was a bank executive that employed us so there was a lot of banking staff that he flew from over the world we kind of felt like James Bond you know <laughs> but so there was a few Asian people there was a few Russians um, and it was, a, it was a pretty mixed audience of nationalities um, but mainly mainly Russians they were really really good that 
we t- we sent over all of our technical specs on how we want the what we need and there was only one guy that spoke like broken english and uh, they did a great job though that was an amazing job but uh yeah i i actually picked up a few sentences but i've forgotten them all now but um they, they were mainly pretty bad though like n- nasty horrible swear words <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. So what's the strangest place that you've played at so far? The strangest place. The strangest place. Because um, Russia would probably be right up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, it's probably here in Australia. <laughs> um, I played in Macau. Uh, I did some shows with a, a Las Vegas company called Legends in Concert. That was kind of weird. That was kind of weird because... I was staying in a place that uh, had a massive Eiffel Tower. Is that that's in Paris? Is it the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, I'm still asleep. It's terrible. <laughs> and it was like three quarter size or half the size. But everything I can't remember the name of the uh, the hotel, but everything around the, the hotel that I was in, it was all themed around Paris. And everyone sort of spoke a bit of French in the in the place. So every time I woke up, I had to keep reminding myself I'm actually in Macau, not France. So that was really weird. But I can't think of the strangest places we've played. It would have to... I'll think about it on the way home. <laughs> I'll, it'll come to me. But um, I'll email you. Uh, yeah, I can't, I, can't put a, I can't put my finger on it at the moment. But You're uh, talking about Australia. What are some of the weird ones here that you've been to, the weird places and interesting places that you've been to? Uh, we played out at um, Ayers Rock. We've played in Papua New Guinea. That was a weird gig. Yeah, we played in Papua New Guinea. That was a long time ago, and we all got diarrhea. <laughs> uh, that wasn't great. Yeah, it was an outdoor uh, nightclub, and we kind of, I think we kind of op- opened it, I think, and um, oh, that was really weird. What happened? It was just really hot. It was extremely hot. In fact, I was trying to find a comfortable place that I knew I was going to pass out. I didn't want to fall down. <laughs> That's it. I was, watched, I was literally going... Yeah, I could probably pass out there because that will be okay. It won't land on any wires or um, guitarist pedals, but a lot of fun. Uh, we didn't drink the water, but we were drinking um, scotch afterwards or bourbon or something, and the ice cubes uh. was what, what got us uh, got us sick. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a long time ago. But uh, I can't think of any other really strange places. <laughs> well, Uluru is an interesting place and probably the perfect place for a rock concert. Yeah, well, we did a, um, we did a, a corporate function there. And then we got a little tour of the. We got. We were able to, to see a little bit of the place. But uh, yeah, it's just such a fascinating place, Uluru. It was uh, absolutely. You just there's just nothing around except this massive big rock. There's nothing else quite like it in the world, I don't think. But uh, yeah, extremely fascinating. You got me thinking about now which is the weirdest show we've ever done or place, please. It'll come to me. Did you get to walk over the... No, no, no. Um, I'm not sure they still do that. I'm not sure if that's no, still... No, it's closed down now. Yeah. Yeah. My friend did when he was uh, we were in primary school. He got photographs. And I think there was a little book at the very top of it that you could sign or something like that. We were in primary school or high school. But uh, no, I didn't get that chance to do that. But no, we certainly took heaps of photos. And it was uh, yeah, an amazing place. Freddie Mercury is a big part of your life. How did it all start, getting the tribute show and getting realising you had the likeness? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I was in a covers band and we were playing a pub. We kind of had a bit of a, a, a residency there and I was the barman at the pub as well. So what happened one night, I think they were, this band was playing and uh, my boss at the time said, you should do a couple of numbers with them. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could, yeah, I could probably do that. And then anyway, I started sort of fronting them for a while. Um, but there was just one night, I think, 
we were supposed to do a Halloween show and I forgot my costume. So I <laughs> borrowed a jacket, I took off my shirt and then I think I just had some boot polish that I painted across my top lip, slicked my hair back and I said, oh, oh and everyone laughed and said, my God, you, 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 that was five minutes and you kind of looked like him. So um, I, I started working out at uh, Movie World and there was a legend show out there and they wanted to revamp it a little bit. So I suggested that they uh, maybe have a look at doing Freddie Mercury. And they said, well, who's going to do that? And I I'll have a go. And there was me and a few other guys that actually did it as well. They were also Freddie Mercury? Yeah, there was a, there was a couple of others that, uh, that were doing it as well. It's just because Movie World's open seven days a week. I mean, uh, there, there was, you know, several Batmans. There's several Marilyn Monroes and all that just to obviously, um, you know, because you don't think about that when you turn up. You see yeah. Batman, you see Freddy, you see yeah. all these uh, Marvel characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's several of them running around. Yes, they have to because of the fact that it's, um, yeah, it's it's seven days a week, you know, so they've got to have uh, backups, I guess. But, yeah, so we did. I did that, and then I'm basically, um, uh, I really wanted to do a show where I could actually do Freddy, and it was really hard at the start to get people interested in the in the show. Uh, I think it's because there wasn't really any of them around. I think there was one other show that was mainly doing sort of theatres and, and touring around the place that didn't offer us much competition because they weren't playing in pubs and clubs. But we just found it really hard to get into them. Um, I think it's because venue managers kind of knew what it was but went, well, what could we compare it to? You know, it's so... So then I started doing, I was, I've always done Elvis Presley impersonations as a kid. So I de- we, we developed the show where we did Elvis at the front at the start of the show. In the second half, we did Queen. I call it the King and Queen show. And, <laughs> and, um, and then after a while, when, once we were playing in the venues, people said, you should just do the Queen because there's a lot of, you know, Elvis, Elvis Presley impersonators getting around. So we, um, we, we stopped doing the Elvis and we did the Queen. But I, I didn't really want to grow a moustache. Uh, so I did the young Freddie, like circa 1970s, and then in the second half I stuck a moustache on my face and did the, the 80s uh, Freddie. But the moustache kept falling off and it was really embarrassing. I was starting to look stupid. I remember one night I was playing at Twin Towns and it was our first time at Twin Towns. So I was so nervous and I, I, I developed this little technique because I could feel it sort of popping off. My, <laughs> so I was, getting the, I was getting the microphone and I was rubbing it down on my face and I'm thinking this is working this is working it's not gonna go and then on the last try of me trying to really stick it to my face it stuck to the microphone so (laughs) it was yeah it was like that it was a mustache over it so it kind of looked like I was holding a muppet or uh, something a puppet or some sorts so after a while I just thought I'm gonna have to grow a mustache so uh, we dropped the circa 70s which I really enjoyed doing because I loved those uh, unitards that he wore. And I had a whole heap of them made, and I got a special wig made, and so um, so yeah. So that's I've answered your question the long way, but that's kind of how we got started, and and then um, we uh, basically just t- took it from there, and it just uh, sort of you know evolved into what it is today. And we've been very lucky to to uh, get the gigs that we've got around the world and all that type of stuff. So it's been great fun. Well, let's talk about the evolution. How did it all from there get going to what it is today, the Killer Queen experience? Well, um, it basically, when we first started, the, the we really didn't know what we were doing, except for the fact that we, we knew that we were, the musicians and things like that that I had at the time, 
uh, we're all very good musicians, uh, but it was just, what, how do we do this? Like, how do we actually make ourselves look, perform, and, and do the music of, of Queen? And everything evolves, everything evolves, and over time, I still think I'm learning. Like, I still look at songs and I think, I can't do that song, or I'll have a go at that song. But just with the right, the right management, the right people to work with, it, it just gets to that point where you it just, all you're doing is just trying to like fine tune it all the time. Like when we finish shows, I have two of my band members that will basically come up to me and say, okay, we need to work on this song because you, your pitching was just a little off. And then they, they all just sort of micromanage the entire show. And at first it was a bit annoying because I'm like, can we just have a beer and enjoy, you know? And they're like, no, no, this is... Well, two of my uh, players, the musicians of the band, are, uh, they teach piano and guitar. So they're teachers. So um, so they'll understand pitchy. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's, it's just on some songs, um, I can just sort of... I can hear myself going off on, on a couple of songs. Not all of them, but on a couple. Because it's big shoes to fill. Yeah, and it's always the same song. It's another one bites the dust. That's the one I sort of... Uh, I find... We do a, like a little solo, when the, like a little breakdown solo in it, you know. And I think when I... I'm, I'm dancing, you know, I'm having fun with the whole thing. And I think when I come back in, I haven't really checked where my pitch was. So yeah, there's a few times, but uh, so I've, I've basically said to my musicians, I'll stop dancing so I can pitch that song. <laughs> but um, but no, they're a great bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, we've, um, like I said, we're still learning. We're still learning how to do this and we're still trying to, to make the show right. I've, I've always said I don't think we've done a show where we've all walked away going, that was perfect. You know, we're always walking back and going, yeah, that could... We could, we should work on this song. We should do that or stuff like that. So, does that mean you're professional though? That you're always trying to improve? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, um, and I always, I still get nervous before shows. I always get nervous or, or butterflies. But I've learned how, I've learned now how to channel that into a, a positive um, energy. Whereas before, I get so nervous. I was, I was like, if, if the, the venue was just to crash or as there was an earthquake that'd be great i'd be that nervous to go out there but i think frank sinatra said if you're not nervous you don't care and i think i've always remembered that so um that's basically where i but but i am able to channel it into something positive i think it's the body also preparing you for battle as it were yeah that you're going in and you know that you've got to perform it's like a fight it's like a prize fight and you'd know all about it i uh, used to get incredibly nervous before fights yeah yeah uh and for weeks beforehand yeah but there was always a time where did it stop and it was game on yeah well i i i, I love talking to other musicians and especially ones that have been around for a long time and they always got scared of the adrenaline dump. You know, they'd they'd be that excited that they'd just get this adrenaline dump and they'd go out and before they'd sung a song, they were already, already quite tired because they were so, you know, especially big crowds. We played in front of 17,000 people in Canberra. It was their Canberra Day public holiday and we were very lucky to play with the uh, Canberra 40-piece symphony orchestra. Nice. Yeah. How was that? I, I can't remember walking out on stage. I was so <laughs> nervous. I was so nervous. Uh, we all were because we've never performed in front of a, an orchestra before. But the hardest thing was we had to rehearse during the day and we I had to sing the, the show three times. So that's was like about four hours or something of singing. So unfortunately, by the time we'd come around, I'd sort of just blown my voice out a little bit. I was able to still 
sing, but uh, there was a lovely lady there just constantly bringing me out um, hot ginger tea and stuff like that. So, but that was probably the the disappointing thing that we had to because I kept saying to the the event organizer, I said, "Do I have to sing this? Do I have to do it again? Do I have to?" And she goes, "Yeah, yeah, no, you have to sing it again." I'm like, "Oh no!" But um, but no, that was a great day, fantastic day. But yeah, I remember. I think I just levitated out on stage. It was crazy. It was, but when you start, when you start, it's great. You know, it's as soon as you start singing, everything's fine. But um, it's just the whole for me. It's just that whole thing. A little voice in the back of your head don't suck don't suck you know <laughs> don't suck when you get out there i think everyone does it to a degree as you say if you care yeah well, that's right that's right that's why we started we we had a lot of agents and managers that would say they'd promote the show as the best in the world and he's the best and i'd say don't say that don't say that i said because you've only got to have one bad night and people then remember that marketing slogan. That, is that the best in the world, is it? You know, you've only got to have one bad night. Or somebody else has, in the band has a bad night or something like that. So so it is, I used to say to our managers, because they always, and some of them still do it today, you know, the world's best and the greatest, you know, all this stuff. And I'd say, oh, don't say that, you know, um, because, uh, yeah, that is that is the truth. You know, you, you have a bad night and people will go, oh, yeah, they weren't that good. You know, are you often performing on your own, or is it always with the band? Always with the band, yeah. So when we do cruise ships or, or anything like that, it is always with the band. I've been asked for years, could you do something to backing tracks and and all that type of stuff, and uh, just not really in that, that interested. And certainly to the people out there that do it, I mean, more power to them. I'm I'm just saying personally, I. Freddie did had a he had a, a fairly successful solo career, but is more remembered with the blokes that were around him because they were all fantastic characters as well, you know. So, um, but no, I've never really I've never really gone down that path. I would probably feel a bit lonely up there doing. <laughs> I'd be spinning around trying to find where my guitarist is, or going over to lean into the bass player or something, and yeah, it would be hard. What if Queen one day rang you up and said, "John, Adam's sick." Can you step in for the night? Well, I'd pass out, first first and foremost. Um, well, that would never happen, uh, but we're hypothesising here, I guess. Uh, oh, look, it'd be amazing. It would be absolutely incredible. Uh, I've met them. We uh, we went to, when they came to Suncorp Stadium, uh, I've met all of them, and they were extremely lovely, just the most loveliest blokes I've ever met in my life. I, for, I was so nervous, I forgot uh, Roger Taylor's name. So I went, get a, hi, 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 hi. <laughs> he went, hey, mate. And I went, oh, <laughs> I just said, and it was really funny because when I met them, I I said to Adam Lambert, I said, you know, come up the front here. And I was holding Brian and, and Wayne, my business partner, who's also the bass player in the band. We're all holding him like that. And Adam said, no, 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 you go up the front there. And I said, no, no, you come up the front, mate. And um, so it, I've got the photograph, but he's actually, we were, he's kind of right up the back and we were beside them and we had a really good chat and stuff. But if they rang me, yeah, I'd be absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know how to put that into words, but I'd probably decline it because I think there'd be more hate from the uh, the Queen, because that's, they don't, the Queen fans don't want that. They don't want that. I think they're very, very happy with Adam Lanner. I mean, it's, some people like him and some people don't, but as, as I often say in this business, yeah, can't please everybody. But um, how do you think he goes in front of Queen? I, I look, I I like him, and I think that his voice is incredible. I mean, you can't take he has one of the most amazing voices. 
And certainly uh, when he sings uh, Who Wants to Live Forever, it, it's just spine tingling. It is amazing. And and everyone keeps saying, oh, he's... There's no. It, it's not as if he's trying to be Freddie. That's a, that's a given. They. I went to a London convention, uh, Queen convention, a couple of years ago, and I got this asked for me, and I was had to answer it in front of all these, you know, Queenies, these Queen fans, <laughs> and basically I just said, look, you know, Freddie's dead. Unfortunately, he's passed, and Brian and the band are not, and they've got this beautiful backlog of amazing gems and beautiful songs and massive hits. It would be hard for them to sit around, capable of still performing, and not being able to. Adam's come along and uh, presented them with that opportunity to, to to do it again, and people love it. They did do it first with Paul Rogers, and I think that's when they thought, this is this is great, this is great. I think they should cut an album, though. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like them to do Queen, uh, the music of Queen with Adam and, and do an album. That'd be cool. I'd do you like think they that. should be looking at new music? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, at new music. I'd love to hear that. I think that would be great to see what they could do. Um, just touching on the Paul Rogers uh, thing, uh, that lineup was um, the, the guitarist or rhythm guitarist they had for that was a guy called Jamie Moses. And he uh, is also Tom Jones's guitarist. And I got to perform with him in his band, uh, Jamie Moses and the Falcons, at one of the Queen conventions. And that was a very nerve wracking night too. I forgot the words to Radio Gaga. I'm not painting myself a real good picture here with the nerves, am I? <laughs> yeah, I forgot the words to Radio Gaga. Not the chorus. Uh, that would be easy. But the words. And I was just like, because I was just, you know, it was a dream come true. I'm performing at a Queen convention in front of all these, you know, hardcore Queen fans. And I was literally looking at it in the audience, holding my microphone. And then I went, uh-oh, I don't even know where I am. Did they help you along? Yeah, yeah. They just, I, I just, I was looking at, I was laughing because I was like, I worst nightmare to come true. I forgot the song. And I, I put the microphone down into the audience and, of course, they brought me back to where I was supposed to be. But, yeah, playing with Jamie was fantastic. It was, uh, But we did the Paul Rogers versions of the songs because uh, that's the only kind of versions he knew. So um, that was interesting too. So another little moment I'm sort of cherish, middle memory there. What is the biggest audience that you've actually played to? Uh, well, the biggest audience we've played to at home in in, our, in Australia was uh, Townsville. We played at the Townsville Entertainment Centre and we sold it out. We could not believe it. And um, yeah, there was, I think, three and a half thousand there or so, something like that. Um, the biggest crowd is, uh, we played Singapore New Year's Eve at Clark Key. And I think we were told there was 20,000 there on the night, just sort of, it was a bizarre, it was an extremely bizarre gig. It was 20,000 20, within the precinct and they had like TVs in certain pubs and clubs in the precinct with us getting beamed live, just in the, not on TV, but just in the precinct there. So they, so wherever you were, you could watch it. So that was probably the the biggest, I think, yeah. We went to Norway one year and when there was, there was I think, seven or eight thousand there at Norway this it was that was a big one the last was the last time we went there we we were um playing uh or performing with uh UFO um god I can't remember half there was a, there's a guy from the states he's like a bluesman his name is uh, Bobby Rush and uh, yeah there's some really really cool big names there so um I wish I could remember them but uh yeah so yeah we've played some some again very lucky and very grateful to be playing some you know some really big audiences
Who are some of the artists that you've played with, some of the big names that uh, really are memorable moments in your career? We played uh, Norway one year and there was Twisted Sister was there. Nice. Yeah. He wouldn't take a photo with me, unfortunately. I was over there and a friend of mine came over and I said, I really want to get a photograph with uh, D Schneider because he was kind of my hero when I was growing up because it was like I'd had his posters up on my on my wall and my my parents were just so hated it like they were like what is that you know <laughs> yeah my friend came over and he got a photograph with him because he was he was doing a books a book signing and I couldn't get one but he was b- before us I met Jeff Beck uh, again in Norway we had a photograph with him he was playing before us it was so embarrassing that we have to go on after these and you know but they were they were all very lovely yeah we've met quite a few we've played with alongside a, a quite a few but uh, they're the biggest uh, I guess that that stand out so um D. Schneider must have been if he was a childhood. Is that your only influence? Oh when no, you were a kid? no, Dad, Dad. Uh, we didn't have TV. I don't think we had TV or color TV for for a while. But we used to have this massive big uh, record player, and it looked like furniture. It was massive, like big wooden speakers. And Dad always played um, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Bo Diddley. Um, the Platters and the Beatles, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, and and Mum kind of liked uh, all the crooners, uh, Bobby Darin, Dion, and and all those type of people. So, and opera, she loved uh, Mario Lanza, and Pavarotti, and stuff like that. So it was all that stuff sort of playing in the house. And I think as I got older, I really liked heavy metal. I loved uh, all the big band, of course, ACDC and Van Halen and uh, Dio and and all that type of stuff, so Black Sabbath. But um, I just love singers. I, I love um, Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion, and, and some of the, the these these people that just, you know, Celine Dion will twist and curve her body just to get notes out and doesn't care how she looks or anything, just to sing, you know. I, I just admire Tom Jones and, and people like that. Yeah, John Farnham, you know, all those uh, wonderful big voices. I'm just fascinated with people. They can make so much beautiful music just by, by singing, you know. It's, he is one of the most gifted Australian singers I think we've produced. Yeah, he's a pom. But uh, <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, but absolutely. I, just, I think he's lived here for... I think he came out here when he was a kid or something. But, uh, but yeah, no, he's one of my favourites and I've managed to see him live uh, a couple of times. Uh, I've seen him with Tom Jones. They did a show together. Wow. Yeah, and jo- Tom Jones' band, I remember reading, saying, why can't we come along? And he said, well, I'm going to be using their band and it's obviously it's, uh, it's be all too much money to fly us all out. But he did and he brought them up. So Farnham's band came out. And then Tom Jones' band came out, and at the end, they were all playing together. It was a phenomenal concert. It was one I will never forget. It was amazing. Whereabouts was that? That was at Suncorp. And I thought they would do it again the next year and maybe do them arenas, like a, a you know, the open air thing, but they never did. So um, it was a one off. But uh, and it, was, it was just an incredible concert. They were doing duets together, Long Way to the Top, they did it together. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's great. Now, when did you know you were going to become a singer? I think I just wanted to be uh, the centre of attention as a kid. I was a poser and uh, I was always uh, performing um, shows for parents and, and uh, wherever we went, I was mimicking people. And uh, and, I, and I often say that, I, that's what I am. I'm a mimic, you know. And uh, I think it was through school, I knew that I could hold a note and I had a music teacher that gave me lots of confidence at school, said that you you can sing, you can actually hold a note and you understand uh, the complexities of singing and breathing. I kind of, I, I think it's because 
I was raised with music for so long that it just come it didn't come naturally, but I I, I knew how to sing. You know, yeah. I, I think after a while, I just really was fascinated with uh, looking at getting into a band, and that happened, and then it just sort of took off. But I, I think I always wanted to be. I actually always wanted to be a stunt man. I had this burning desire to be a stuntman because I, I did gymnastics as a kid. I, I did a bit of Taekwondo, Judo and um, uh, Rugby League. And uh, it was the gymnastics that really I knew how to roll and fall. So, so, But I always wanted to be doing something within the limelight of showbiz. That's the, that's the I always wanted to have – I didn't have any desires to be a tradesman or, or anything like that. I always wanted to be uh, in – showbiz when you first started how did it all get off the ground when you went okay you got your first gig you got into it and you thought yep this is me it was a band um many many years ago that saw me at a karaoke and that's kind of what started it was karaoke what it was in 88 i think it was expo 88 oh wow that goes back yeah i didn't go to expo but that's where it came out of because i think there was a japanese pavilion or something that had karaoke in it so as soon as that took off there was a, every pub in town i think had a karaoke and he saw me this particular guy saw me he had a show called legends i think or something like that and they basically just did all they didn't dress up but they just tributed every uh, but bill haley and it, they went through the the era of rock and roll and eras of rock and roll and he saw me and he said i'd really like you to do it we do an elvis thing in our show we'd really like you to do it and i was like oh i, I don't even have a costume you know and my mum put together a costume for me Got on your mum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was, I still remember, it was all white and I had like a big macrame belt. And so the young Elvis. Yeah, it was like we, the only thing we could sort of make that would look okay was um, the outfit that he wore in Blue Hawaii when I think he was getting married or something. So I wore that and I got special white boots made because you couldn't buy white boots back then. Or well, you probably could, but they were in. So anyway, so yeah, I um, yeah I did this show and I was uh, I think I was maybe twenty two or twenty three or something and I was I fronted the band. We did a couple of shows together. Yeah, that was really cool. That was that was when I went. That's it. That's what I want to do now. That's that, that I got bitten by the the audience bug and the, the applause and things like that. And that, I, I actually was a plumber for a while. I was uh, I was working for my uncle and I served about three years of it and I just I had enough. I just I can't do it anymore. I'm sick of that. <laughs> and someone said, well, you should have done it and. At least you have a trade. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But I said, every time I install a new vanity or a toilet, it's just no applause. <laughs> so I, I that, you know. <laughs> so you live for the applause still? Yeah, I look at adulation. We all we all enjoy it. And um, yeah, it's it's it, standing ovations and things like that are really nice to nice to get. And uh, it, it's just a it's just a great way to. Um, be recognized for you know there's a lot of hard work that goes into it the hardest thing is is doing shows when you don't feel like it you know you've had a bad week or you've had a bad month or a bad year and uh you're tired or you might be a little bit depressed or something so i I love talking to other i got a few friends i won't name them but i've got a few other friends with that work within the business that have been my idols and that i i often ring and sort of ask them questions and things like that yeah it's hard because certainly in a tribute show, you've got to bounce out on stage and be everybody's favourite uh, Abba show or everyone's favourite Freddie Mercury or everyone's favourite Elvis. And you might not want to be doing that, that because you're depressed or tired or whatever it may be. So that would probably be the hardest part. I've realised that in the last couple of months where I've, I haven't had a great couple of years in the last years for personal reasons and health reasons. But yeah, that, that's, uh, 
That's bit, yeah, that's very hard because people have paid their money. They don't care what type of day you had, you know what I mean? And they don't know anyway. I don't know what your question was, but... Uh, How forgiving are audiences? Pretty forgiving, I think, yeah. I think if... I don't think it really matters who you are. I think most audiences understand that if you if you have had a bad night or anything like that... Do you tell them if you're not having a great night? Do you, I used do you... to say to people, I've got a cold, everybody. I'm going to do my best to get through this. Years and years ago, I used to say, if I just wanted to be honest... And I, f- I figure if that's not a good idea either. Just uh, don't tell anybody anything. Just, you know, <laughs> maybe after the show you can say, "I'm so glad I got through that because I've I've had a cold for the last week or so." But yeah, I used to let people know at the very start of the show. Look, I've got a cold, and people be, "Oh, great!" You know, I've just paid forty bucks, fifty bucks, or whatever it is to watch some bloke with a cold. So that was one lesson I learned: never tell anybody unless it's um, really bad. But um, well, there's no days off in our industry. There's no days off. You can't. Uh, my uh, Wayne Vitali, my bass player, has had a major surgery at the moment, and he's uh, he's just said it's really weird watching you guys go out and do shows because I would normally, you know, rain, hail, or shine, you know, even if you're half dead. What do you do for bass? We've got a bass player. His name's Brad Poole. He uh, he's been come, he's been with us for um, gee, I don't know, about six years now. There was a time when we were doing cruise ships and things like that where Wayne couldn't go. He had a young family, and um, yeah, so Brad's just been amazing. He's just he's just slots in perfectly and. Um, he actually looks a little bit John, like John Deacon too, which is which is handy, because it would look weird if we had to had to employ somebody who had a, a beard or was you know obese or <laughs> you know whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, he fits in absolutely perfectly. So we're lucky. When you're actually going away, is it tough to be away from the family when you are away and doing a lot of touring? I think when the family, well certainly my family, when they were the kids were young. Um, uh, my partner would have to, you know, don a cape and turn into a superwoman to look after uh, all the children, and it's a, it's a lot of hard work. So yeah, it does affect, uh, especially. Well, in 2019, I think we did close to 102 shows or something like that, and we were away a lot, a lot. I think some of the wives of the um, of, of the the guys who were in the band were happy that their husbands were away that far. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, with, the, with the family, with the children being young, it's, it's hard on the, on the wives because, you know, it's a lot of work, you know. Washing, cooking, getting them off to school, getting them picked up, bathing them, taking, you know, all that type of stuff is so. But um, yeah, I, I, I call them rock and roll widows. That's what they are. <laughs> so, well, they do do it tough if they can't come with you and can't bring the kids. Yeah, on occasions we've uh, uh, been able to bring partners mm. and 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 the children. We I did it once. We we do shows up in Cairns. Uh, Bruce is the guy up there who's been looking after us for many many years. We've become very good friends with with Bruce, and he puts us up in the in the casino. And we all said to him, "Can we bring our partners?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course." So we. It was the first time my children have ever been on a plane, so when we flew up there, so I was eagerly watching them in their seats to see how they would cope with uh, the flight. And they, they were loving it, so that was that was great. How do they like the fact that what Dad does, that he's a Freddie Mercury impersonator yeah. and mimic? Well, when, we, when I was little, I would often uh, have Freddie playing. Uh, just so I'm just listening all the time, listening for little things that he does with his voice and so it was always kind of not all the time but it was kind of playing and I would try and play a video before I like a video would be playing before I would go and do the show so I would have I'd be packing my clothes and I'd be listening and watching just to get in you know get the vibe but they were 
growing up with that too. So um, there's lots of little videos of my children when they were babies singing, I want to break free and, <laughs> and things like that. And they did tell their their um, their teachers that my daddy is Freddie Mercury, and um, you know, I had to I had to say that I'm I play Freddie Mercury kids. I'm not Freddie Mercury. <laughs> so, uh, but we do, it was good though because every time they told them that they'd have, the, the the parents would have to get a hold of me and ask can we do shows at the school fates and things like that. So it worked out well. <laughs> Parent teacher night must have been interesting. <laughs> I've been to one, and uh, everyone was um, just wanted to ask me things about the show and when can we catch a show and things like that so what's yeah. the most interesting question and most often asked question that you get are you gay which... <laughs> all the time really yeah is he gay so um do you get offended by that no i just say i'm not but my boyfriend is so um it's, Boom. Uh, <laughs> no no it's pretty much uh it's pretty much the the main answer, uh, the main, the main question: Is he gay? Um, whenever I go out and meet people, I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, so people know that I'm not. Um, and as Seinfeld would say, there's not that there's anything wrong with that. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it was uh, probably the most, the most question. And I, I never gave a, I, I let people work it out. You know, I'd never say no or or, or yes. I just let them, let them work it out. It is funny though when women. Uh, after shows, uh, we I go out and do a little meet and greet, think that I am, and they do things like, "Can you please grab my breasts? Uh, is it all right if I do this? And if I can, I we do." I'm like, "That's fine," because they think I'm gay. Um, but uh, that would be the most often asked question. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, though, with that sort of uh, notoriety. Yeah, that you're playing into. Mm. How does your wife think about that, or your partner? Oh, look. They've always been very good at it. It's just they know what we do, and uh, it's just an act. You know, what I mean, I'm just uh, we are there to um, just mimic Freddie on stage perfectly. Um, I did do a documentary on Freddie in uh, London uh, for ITV One, and uh, I had I had to think about whether I have to, could I show it to my little ones because I had to snog a lot of blokes, and it went right into sort of Freddie's private life and all that type of stuff and in the end I thought no they're going to watch it so they've watched it and they were good with it so because I wanted uh, to talk to you about the ITV documentary mm. so it was a really big thing for you to get the gig it was amazing yeah it was amazing I I got an email there was an agent in London that put me forward for it and he said here's, here's his email and they said it's uh, ITV1 channel 5 we'd like to do a Skype thing with you and um, we did the interview and I was, uh, I hadn't been working for a couple of months, so I kind of had a bit of a beard. And uh, anyway- Very unpretty. Yeah, well, he had, he had a beard in some of his film clips towards the later part of his life. And we, we did the interview and they said, we're going to do another one tomorrow. Can you shave the beard off and, and kind of look like Freddie? And we're going to get you to do some lines from the, from the film. So we, we did that and they said, we'll be in touch. And uh, I had to do a cruise ship for two weeks and- um, I said to them, it's, there's pretty much no Wi-Fi out there. So I'm, if I've got the part, you're going to have to get back to me pretty quickly and you'll have to contact my manager, which I thought was quite, sounded like I was a bit pompous. But the manager is not my personal manager. It was the manager that looked after the band at the time. Anyway, um, I did the cruise, come back. It was uh, as we were coming into Sydney, I had reception and I had like 16 missed phone calls and it was my 
my manager at the time, and he said, you've got the part and you've got to go, you've got to fly out at a certain time. And I was just, wow, this is crazy. I've never been to London before. And and uh, yeah, it was two weeks. We shot it in two weeks. And uh, I was pretty excited to, to find out that I, I've i got a mention on Freddie Mercury's Wikipedia page. So that was pretty cool. It just says John Blunt star, was the first person to portray Freddie on film in, in the Who Wants to Live Forever film but uh, yeah it was an incredible time it was uh, really hard work I had a um, an old black cab waiting for me every morning pull up outside my little flat that I was staying in uh, at seven o'clock it would pull up and I'd get home some nights at eight o'clock it would they were long shoots I remember distinctly remember I was sitting in the makeup chair and they were putting on a, a beard for a particular shot so there was two makeup ladies and they were putting on the beard either side of me and I fell asleep I literally just fell asleep, and I can't do that. I don't fall asleep sitting. I got to be laying down or reclined, and then I thought, "Yeah, I'm really tired. I'm really, really tired." So, two weeks is pretty quick to shoot a documentary. Yeah, it was it was really quick. In fact, they said they might need me for another week because there was a few other things that they wanted to pick up on, and they wanted to do more scenes and really montage certain parts of the film. So I had to ring my partner at the time and say, look, I think I'm going to be back. I might be here for another week. And she's like, that's fine. And they didn't do it. They just said, oh, look, you know, I think we'll be fine with what we've got. So, yeah, not everybody liked it, but um, it was two weeks. Why not? Oh, look, there was a bit of flack about how it went into too much of his private life and and, uh, probably shouldn't have gone into that area of his life. But it's pretty well known. You know, Freddie uh, lived like I often say, like an Egyptian pharaoh. You know, he was uh, became um, you know quite rich quite quickly. I think the money started rolling in after Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, uh, the the song, and you know some of these songs, the royalties on them would be incredible. You know, and they had heaps of them, so they're pretty rich. So I, I think everyone knew, but I think there was a bit of backlash that said, "Oh, you should have." They shouldn't have done the issues. Not to me, not to me as such. What should they, how should they have done the documentary then? Uh, oh, look, the documentary is a documentary. It's not a movie, you know. It's it's based on things that have been written about him in books, uh, friends, dear friends, and and that's basically what they did. They interviewed his bodyguard um, and, and close friends, and I basically just reenacted their stories, kind of, uh, and moments. So um, I don't know how they would have done it without having talking about him, how he died. Um, and they were very hard scenes to play. Uh, I, the death scene was certainly a, an extremely, uh, very, very tough uh, to play. And I was actually, funny enough, I went over there and I developed, it was just really cold. I'm a Queenslander. I was not ready for that. And I had so many, I actually had so many layers of clothes on. <laughs> and, I, and I bought this jacket, this leather jacket. And I remember getting home one afternoon and I thought, oh, I'm getting sick because all my body's aching. My body's really sore. It's just that my puny little arms were lifting up so many layers. Like the, the leather jacket itself was quite heavy, but that's what it was. It was just moving my arms. was like, I'm getting a workout here, you know? So, but anyway, I got quite quite ill. So when I was playing, uh, portraying Freddie in his final days, I was actually, I was actually crook. So it kind of enhanced the performance, I guess. But uh, yeah, they were very tough. Uh, scenes because I was even thinking oh, I don't really want to do this you know I don't really want to do this would you like to be known as an actor or a singer just an entertainer uh, that would be a you know um, 
my acting's okay, my singing's okay. I've been making a living, living from it for, you know, most of my adult life now. And that's what I put on my passport, entertainer. I was very lucky enough, uh, as we're talking about acting, to, to be in a movie that'll be coming out, I think this year or next year, uh, with a very good friend of mine who does Elton John. His name is uh, Greg Andrew. And uh, we were cast as uh, Freddie and, and Elton in the movie. So uh, we're very, very excited about that. We were just We were just extras and throughout the shoot, the producers were talking to each other and, and said, well, why don't we just give them a, a bit of dialogue? So um, we were like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, it uh, it will be coming out in, I th- apparently it's in Christmas, over the Christmas break. It's a romantic comedy. Name of the movie? Uh, seriously Red. Shot at Movie World? No, no. It was shot on location in uh, Mullumbimby. And then there was some stuff at Twin Towns. So that was really cool um, because when we were shooting it, my posters were all over the place. And they were like, and a lot of the other extras were like, is this for the movie? Like, is this all these posters around? I said, no, I'm playing here. And they went, yeah, but is, that's going to that's gonna be shown in the movie, right? And I'm like, no, 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 that's just, just the posters for me, me when I'm coming here. So, um, yeah, that'll be... Uh, yeah, Jack Thompson's in the movie, so um, it's going to be pretty, pretty cool. Cool, an Australian legend. How was it working with him? Very sadly, I, nev- I never got to, uh, to meet him. Uh, it was just happened to be on the day that I wasn't there on set, so that was... Uh, but uh, I got to work with uh, Rose Byrne. Celeste Barber uh, was in the movie too, and there's uh, Bob Down. I'm not sure if you know him. He was very... Great comedian. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had an awkward moment with him. I said... Uh, Bob down, and he as he was walking past me, and he goes, "My God, you look like Freddie Mercury." And I said, "Oh, it's an occupational hazard." And I said, "One of my heroes. I've been watching you since I was a kid." And he goes, "Really, a kid?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh, now I feel really old, or something like that." And I was like, "I probably shouldn't have said that." But um, yeah, there was there was a lot of you know wonderful people on set. So do you get recognised very often? Yeah, always. Yeah, always. Someone I'll be getting groceries or petrol or going out shopping or whatever it may be, or sitting at the pub. I've got my friend here today with me. Uh, my uh, chaperone um, is sitting over in the corner there. Uh, we'll go up to the pub. There's a local uh, Irish pub from where I live, and everyone will say, Does anyone ever told you, has anyone ever told you you look like Freddie Mercury? And I go, yep. Yep. I yeah. wish I had a dollar for everyone that every time that someone said it. Oh, constantly. And not everyone are kind. They'll often say, look at uh, old mate, thinks he's Freddie Mercury. If I hear those comments, I often say to people, I actually am in a Queen show. Yes, I'm in a Queen show. That's that's why this is all happening. And they go, oh, okay. But like I said, yeah, not everyone's <laughs> not everyone's kind. We are in Australia. Because it is God a pretty, Im- pretty impressive neighbourhood. Uh, I hear that also Joe Bugner is also used to live just down the road. He did. He did. That was a, uh, I used to... There was a stage in my life where I thought, I'm going to get fit. I want to get fit for the show. I have got a lung disease called sarcoidosis, so um, it does sort of rob me of uh, breath and energy. So anyway, I started jogging. Hated it. I'm not a jogger. And I was jogging past his house, which is just at the uh, in my street, and he was just hosing the garden. And I've sort of gone, my God, that's Joe Bugner. So you understand what it's like when someone goes, ah, that's Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just went, oh, now I've got to jog past him tomorrow. I know Now I have to jog past his house every day now so to see if it, it is him. Sure enough, I was jogging past at the same time and he was watering the garden. So I thought, I've got, I've got, he's one of my heroes. 
So I went home and I Googled Joe and his, Marlena, his wife. Uh, everything came up about them and she liked a champagne. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go and get some champagne. I took my little girl with me. As I said off off, uh, off air, I didn't want him to have a Joe Frazier flashback or something and kill me. Anyway, I knocked on the door and they said, uh, I said, um, Marlena's yelled out, who is it? And I said, oh, Marlena, it's John Blunt. I um, I live up the road. And that week I was actually on the front page of our local rag because I'd just come back from France from a, for a lookalike competition. I went, if you have a look at the... Uh the local paper. I'm on the front, and um, I'm, I'm. I just up the road. I'm the neighbourhood Freddie Mercury. I was so nervous because she goes, "Oh, oh, okay." She probably thought mental. We've got a stalker here or something. <laughs> anyway, um, she said, "Oh, okay." I said, "I just wanted to meet Joe." Anyway, he he's come out. I'll be right out there, old son. And he's walked out, and I've got my little girl on my side. I had a bottle of champagne. He couldn't have been more nicer. He came in and. Uh, when he fought Joe Frazier over in uh, Malaysia, they uh, they took Muhammad's glove and his glove and they dipped them in lead and he was had this beautiful big box. He said, have a look at that. I was holding it. He brought out his heavyweight champion belt and she was showing me all the photos. She was she worked for Robert, Mur- uh, Robert Murdoch. She was a journalist. And she she was great friends with the Rat Pack and she'd met Freddie and she showed me the photograph wow. of her and Freddie. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And um, my partner at the time was ringing me. Um, I, I paid for a pay-per-view UFC fight to watch. And she's like, she's like, you're missing it, you're missing it. I said, I know, I'm in Joe's house. And I remember her saying at the time, she's like, she, they're going to call the cops. They're going to think you're too weird. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. They're, uh, they're offering me food and beverages. It's fine. And uh, yeah, so we became very, very close friends. I did a show at uh, Kedron and Wavell. And I rang Joe and Melina and I said, I'd like to... I'd like to bring you along. And I hired a limo. It wasn't expensive, but it was a limo. And uh, he sent back a text, I think, of the week of the uh, the show and said, Marlena can't come. Uh, I'd like to bring my neighbour. And unfortunately, I mean, uh, fortunately, it was uh, Alan. And he turned up in with Joe, and Alan and I have been friends ever since. And um, Joe's been a, a very close friend ever since. So... Uh, I'd always announce him when he'd walk through the door when we'd uh, go over for beers or barbecues and as soon as he walked through the door I'd say ladies and gentlemen the heavyweight champion of the world Joe <laughs> and he'd walk over and slap me and go undefeated heavyweight champion undefeated and i go okay I'll get that right for the next entrance but it was funny because I was saying to Alan he'd walk in and as soon as I started doing this over the top melodramatic you know you know, ladies and gentlemen, he, you could see him sort of, you know, he changed his posture a little bit. <laughs> I think he was so used to hearing that announce, ring announcers doing it, and I did it extremely well. But, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, great, great. Joe's been a great friend, great guy. So you're a bit of a fight fan? Always, yeah. Pugilist, I call myself. Um, that was through Dad. Uh, Dad raised us on uh, Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan uh, movies. But, um, yeah, he, he, Dad was a huge fight fan, so it was always, and I think, doing martial arts at a very early age and judo and things like that. Um, just fascinated with it. It's, for me, it's uh, boxing the sweet science and it really is physical chess. You know? Oh, it so yeah. certainly is. And, and you'd know better than anybody that you've got to land punches on your opponent while they're landing on you. So there's a lot of, it is, it's chess. It's whoever makes the first move here is going to have a checkmate, you know. Yeah, so yeah, Dad Dad was really loving. Dad, Dad was in the army for nine years, so he uh, 
he was very very physical and fit uh, growing up still is he's in his 80s now but uh, I met Jackie Chan I was in um, no yeah I was I was in I was working at Myers in the city and he did his very first show in the valley Fortitude Valley I think it was called Rumble in the Bronx I can't remember exactly but my first Taekwondo teacher, Brett Arthur was his name. He was 6'6", and he was one of the most incredible physical specimens I've ever seen. He was just absolutely, I just wanted to be him, my first Taekwondo. Sadly, um, he passed, and um, he was with him. I think he was with him on the day. I was like, oh, Brett, Brett. And he's like, hey, John. And he said, um, do you want to meet Jackie Chan? I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, he's... He's getting. He's in the sports section. He was getting wristbands or something like that. I'm like, oh my god! And he goes, yeah, yeah. He's he's there. Nobody knew who he was. I said to all of my coworkers, Jackie Chan's here, and they went, who's she? <laughs> I went, it's Jackie Chan. <laughs> and they went, mm, I don't know who you're talking about. No one knew because he wasn't that big uh, here. But we were raised there. Was VHS all the old. Uh, drunken monkey and all these all these old fighting you know so anyway he's come past and he had a little bit of security around him not much um he wouldn't need it no he wouldn't need it no <laughs> but i think his wife was with him and um anyway i was trying to find a bit of paper do you think i could find a bit of paper nothing around and there was just like ribbed bit of cardboard and i felt like a tool i went up and i said can jackie can you sign that and he signed it and he said Love you, God bless, uh, Jackie Chan, and he, he he put underneath he drew a fist underneath it, uh, all that on this ribbed you know bit of cardboard. And I had that for years and years and years, and I moved so many times when I was younger. I've lost it now, but um, yeah, so I met him. Nice guy, lovely, absolutely lovely. Because I was asking him questions, and he was getting moved on. Like uh, no one was, no one, no one knew who he was. Nobody knew. So I'm like. This is great. I'm looking around. No one's just, everyone thinks I'm just talking to some, you know, Asian guy. And uh, I was asking questions because he was on um, Enter the Dragon. He was an extra on Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I read somewhere way back that um, it was the fight scene where uh, I think Bruce had nunchucks. And, or I think he got hit with a, a staff or something and it broke and he picked up the broken pieces of the staff. And he was just, bodies were just coming at him. And he, just, and he clipped Jackie Chan pretty badly across the back of the head. And I was asking him about that. And he said, wow, how did you know that? And I said, oh, I've, I've read stuff, you know. And he goes, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he clipped me. And then I, I sort of went down. They pulled up the cut. And he said, Bruce, come over to me. And he was like, you okay? And he's like, he said he really milked it. He was like, oh, it's a bit sore. <laughs> He said Bruce was holding him. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, it's a little bit sore. It's a, uh, you know, he said he was really milking it. But I, I could have talked to him for hours and hours. And then he kind of got the, come on, we've got to go now. But Security. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, pulling. Sort of said, come on, we've got to go. And, and uh, But no, yeah, it was yeah, amazing. Great, lovely man. Beautiful man, yeah. Who's your favourite fighter these days? Uh, Conor McGregor. I like him. Yeah. Only yeah. <laughs> because... He exploded onto the scene with so much personality, um, so much confidence. He just stood out. He was a polarizing sort of figure. He is a polarizer, and uh, the Russian that that is, is oh Khabib. Yes, yeah. 
Um, Kabib really brought him out, and then Connor sort of said, "Hey, mate, it's just a show." Yeah, and it too late though. Unfortunately, it it was was personal. It was a little bit late, and it did get personal. But it's interesting to know behind the scenes how much is show and how much is blow. Well, I think the mistake he probably made was making fun of their religion. I think they made fun of his religion. I know he made fun of his father. Well, that's also probably a no-no as well. So. Yeah, yeah. However, when his father passed, he, he, he said some beautiful words and wonderful accolades and, and things like that. But as they all say, you've got to sell tickets, and that's what he's doing. He's selling, look at Muhammad Ali. I mean, Muhammad Ali did the same thing, um, calling Joe Frazier a gorilla and Frankenstein, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah, I think he just maybe, maybe went a little bit too far at, at that point. Um, but, you know, everybody basically knows who he is, you know. But I, I do love uh, Israel Asanya as well. I think he is... Uh, the stylebender. Yeah. The foray into the uh, light heavyweight ranks hasn't been too successful. Yeah, I saw his last fight with the uh, the, the, the Polish fella. I can't pronounce his name. He, he certainly held his own. He didn't he didn't make, embarrass himself. Do you think it was the fact that he didn't try and gain weight? But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he was quicker. He... But he can take a punch. Like he certainly has got a good chin. Like he was. Um, I would not like to be hit. By, I don't want to be hit by anybody. But I don't like. <laughs> I would not like to be hit by that Polish guy. It'd be like hitting, getting hit by a car. So as far as training these days, are you still doing any martial arts? I've just started getting back into it. Um, I've started to. Uh, I've, I've got a boxing bag in my living room. It can move. You can you can box and it can, it moves. Ah, oh, yep, yep. It's got a big sand thing on it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I eventually want to get a speedball and I want to get a, a, a full length uh, punching bag as well as the uh, the shaped, you know, the, the head and the torso. Yep, yep. I, I wanted, I'm going to get those. I'm, I'm slowly getting back into it. It's just because I don't like jogging and I don't like walking. I Skipping? Mean, I suck at it. I really, I've just gone and bought it. I just went and got, I just went and got a um, skipping rope, a proper one. And the next morning, it was so embarrassing. My knees were sore, and I'm like, oh, I'm getting old. But I have never been good at, uh, never been good at that. Never. I, I see those other guys, and they're skipping and all that type of stuff. I'm like, how do they do that, you know? How fit do you need to be for the shows that you're doing? Oh, it's cardio. It's basically cardio. And I realized the lung condition got worse uh, in 2019 with the amount of shows that I was doing. Uh, and I'm on prednisone and it retains fluid. Well, it's a steroid, but as soon as I take it, I had to, I, I, I've asked the doctor if I could go on a lower milligram because I was on 25 milligrams of, and it's like, it's just like a battery goes off, you know, you just, whoa. But uh, yeah, it puts on weight. I was 85 kilograms last year. I'm, I'm 80 now, 81, I think, but um, it's mainly cardio, you know. You've got a. This thing is great for for lung disease, though. It's it's great, and it's really good to be able to. My old singing coach taught me how to breathe properly and push notes through with your diaphragm and stuff. We're getting old. We're all getting older. So you've got to. I think Sylvester Stallone. I follow him on Instagram. He always says, "Health is wealth." So uh, yeah. So, but I, I've got to train because of the lung disease. You know, I've got to make sure that I'm always moving and swimming's good. I've got a pool. And I, I try to get into that as often as I can. The only problem is I'm really I'm a real scaredy cat when it comes to cold water. I I, <laughs> I won't go in there. It's going to be really hot. Like you say, you're a Queenslander. Absolutely. 
I'm actually looking at trying to get it uh, my pool heated so I can sort of swim in it um, all year round. But it, you know, that'd be nice just to get into it. It's like a nice warm bath, and that's how it has to be—is like a bath. When you are training and you are doing these things, are there performance-specific exercises that you do do because you need to be flexible and those sort of things? You said you did uh, gymnastics. Yeah. Has that helped with it the Freddie show? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he does. Well, I think Freddie kind of morphed ballet with boxing because he did box as a kid and there's pirouettes and there's punches and there's left hooks and jabs and he's doing it and then there's pirouettes and uh, all those types of things so um yeah i just do i basically do a couple of push-ups and i do all my stretches that i've done in gymnastics and in taekwondo it's mainly hamstrings and stuff like that very embarrassing thing happened when i was out at movie world i was doing elvis and i was doing um burning love i think the song was and i was doing this thing that he would do and i pulled a hamstring I it was the most embarrassing thing and it was weird it I was, shouldn't laugh well it was so weird because I've never ever done it of all the sport that I've done as a kid I've never done it before and it felt like someone had stabbed me and I and oh you did it properly yeah it felt like someone had stabbed me and blood was coming out It because I could feel trickles and I was just I scared the hell out of me yeah but it felt like a stab and then blood dribbling out and I because I actually looked around I thought someone has stabbed me wow mm. wow and that took ages to 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 heal ages wow so now i always just yeah just general stretching bending over and you know all that type of stuff because of your martial arts background Mm. and wanting to be a stuntman how did that fall by the wayside when i was in grade 10 my um oh what do they call the counselor or no not a counselor um oh the people that uh guidance counselor yeah yeah i think it was something like that they were asking we we did this thing where we were put into work experience from school and they said what would you like to do and I went stuntman <laughs> and they went hmm I don't think we'll be able to put you into any work experience and but they tried they tried very very hard and back then there was nothing nothing around anyway they ended up fight they said that we can't get you we, we can't get you work experience as a stuntman but would you like to go and see where commercials are made like where they, they piece together commercials radio ads and all that type of stuff. And it was a place out at, um, I think it was Milton. I can't remember now. And yeah, they just, they had very similar to this. um, And they had a few of these little rooms, big ones, smaller ones and all the rest of it. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So I went out there and I was there for every Tuesday for, I think it was for a month or so. No, probably for the whole year, I think. Yeah. And I got to see how television commercials, and I I met heaps of, I met Jamie Dunn, I met all the, all the, the radio announcers on the day, and uh, so that was really cool. That was that was uh, again getting slightly bitten along the way of the bug to um, to do this thing called showbiz. I did my work experience at the old four BK. Okay, yeah, in the yeah. newsroom. Okay, loved it, and that fueled me. Boy George come out there too. He, I think he came to four KQ. Is that the 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 the, the, the zipper? Was that the, the logo? Was a zipper or coming up on? No, zip? that that was for IP. Oh, you for IP? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's a long time ago. It, yeah, far too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get onto the legends. Yes. And the legends tour that you did in the states. Um, they came to Australia. They come out here all the time, uh, once a year to, to Melbourne, and they do the Crown Casino for two weeks. And they needed a Freddie. And they seen me on YouTube. And they rang me and said, would you be interested? And I just said yes, because I remember seeing way back when the, the Mike Walsh show. <laughs> now you're dating yourself. Yeah, yeah, the Mike Walsh show. He had them on his show. 
Yeah. And I remember seeing as a kid going, wow, I think they had a Neil Diamond and a, an Elvis and they may, may have had a Dolly Parton. I can't remember, but I just remember going, wow. And they were called Legends in Concept. Well, of course, when I got the call, I said, I, absolutely. I'd love to do that. So I did two weeks in Melbourne. We went then went to Macau. And then in late 2019, they asked, would I come to Connecticut? And, and I basically, I, I lived there for five weeks. And we did a show every single day, and two on Tuesday, two for Tuesday. And uh, I was, yeah, it was very intimidating that the, uh, the Americans certainly know how to put on a show. It's a fantastic show. The whole thing just runs like a beautiful machine and it's just incredible and everyone's lovely and very supportive and uh the, the the acts were it was very intimidating they are amazing they are next class next level and uh, well there was a girl out there who did share and i massive massive share fan again singers i would sit in the wings the whole the whole show every show i just sit in the wings like a little kid just watching them it was just a just magic and the funny thing is when you're working I was working with a Stevie Wonder guy who was I just can't even find the words it's simply amazing Cher and Elvis Stevie Wonder there was a Dolly Parton and there was a, a Donna Summer when I came back to Australia my brain had somehow morphed into I was working with the real ones because I was there for a month working with these people so I've often said oh, well, I've worked with Stevie Wonder I, go, I mean um <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, they look like them, they sound like them. So yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. But it's yeah, I, the the most the best thing that come out of uh, of that is that their friendships. I'm still friends with them today, and uh, we're always communicating uh, through social media. So it's um, I think that's the the loveliest thing that comes out of uh, this industry is just all the people you meet and the friends that you make along the way. What about the egos that you do find along the way? Is that something that you've had to deal to deal with to yes i have <laughs> uh look egos are fine as long as you can back it up if you can't back it up you are always going to get more jeers than cheers ego is confidence and you need that ego to be able to perform in front of people and uh but you've got to keep it in check i i think i think when i was younger i had a bit of an ego when i was working around the traps so i thought i'd was the ducks nuts, um, but it is watching other people do it way better than you, and you go, okay, I'm not that good. But it was a long time ago. We now, we, like I said, I'm still learning, and I'm still open to anyone's suggestions on what I should be uh, not doing or doing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of people with with egos uh, in any anything, you know. Um, but uh, you've just got to back it up. That's all. Who's your favourite artist that is impersonated? There's a few. Of me that I've impersonated? Yeah, both. I used to do uh, perform... Because you were doing Elvis and Roy Orbison? Yeah, I love Roy Orbison's voice. I absolutely love his voice and something that I've always enjoyed and miss. I think if I was to stop doing um, the Freddie Mercury thing, I would uh, definitely go back to doing uh, Roy Orbison. I wouldn't do the whole dress up thing. I, I would like to just be myself and talk about the music and how the songs affected me and when they were written and what year and things like that. I really love, uh, yeah, Roy Orbison's incredibly sad life. Um, but uh, one of my 
favourites to impersonate. Yeah. Is that like that looking through a glass onion sort of style that um, John Waters? Yeah, that yeah. you you'd be looking at to try and do Abs- something. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Somewhere down the track, I've seen John Waters's. I've seen it twice, and absolutely blown away. It was one of the. It was so moving. I won't talk about it because I think he's touring it again. I don't want to give anything away, but there was just a couple of moments where I was with my friend, and we were just like, "Whoa." What happened? You know, that was just these really cool things throughout. Simple things that he's done with lighting and movement and, and just, uh, yeah, if, if, if he is doing it again, I heard he was doing it, you have to see that show. It was just incredible. And what a talent. What's the show that you have on your list that you need to see before you hang up the performer's well, it's, moniker? It's funny. I, um, I just took my kids to Shrek. The musical. <laughs> and it blew my mind. Really? It, it blew my mind. I thought... They, they love Shrek. They, they, they watch the movie. And as they're getting older, they still love Shrek. So when we sat down in the theatre, I kind of thought, oh, I'll get through this. The kids are going to love it. I'm going to be a hero. You know, this is what they want to see. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the gingerbread man. I'm like, yes. You know, I'm like, gee, I'm, I was right into it. I was right into it. And the performances are just perfection. In fact, uh, Todd McKenney is in it. He needs some sort of an award for his his performance. It is, and again, I won't give anything away because uh, I think it's still going. But that was a masterclass in in um, performancing. It was uh, performance. Is that a word? Performancing. Um, yeah, he was just absolutely fantastic, brilliant, and I just had the best time. In fact, when it it, it was an interval. I just I just didn't want to leave. I was like, I, I don't want to. I don't. I want to sit here in case I miss something. You know, when they come back out. But um, to, to bucket list show, um, I'd like to see Phantom of the Opera. I haven't seen that. I'd, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, I can't think of any at, at the moment. That would definitely be the one I'd, I'd really like to see. I wanted to see Celine Dion at, uh, in Las Vegas. I didn't get to see that. Uh, but I, I think we've seen most. I've seen, I've, 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 I haven't been to a lot of concerts, but the ones that I have, I've kind of, I have kind of ticked off the bucket list. Elton John I went and saw. Uh, as we said earlier, Tom Jones and Farnham and Queen um, with Adam Lambert. So my ba- my bass player Wayne has actually seen the original lineup. He saw them in Sydney. Uh, so he's, he witnessed Freddie Mercury. So that's pretty cool. We we always sort of um, envy him for for that. But um, yeah, I don't think there's too many that uh, I'd have to have a look at see what uh, what there is to offer before I check it. Do the bucket list thing. How do Queen fans react to you? Oh, I think Queen fans just enjoy the fact that they can go out and, and watch and listen to uh, a Queen show in the style of how they... Were. It's nostalgia. So that was the music they were brought up. It's the soundtrack of their lives. And Freddie out the front, I think, is a, something they enjoy. I, I, I get a lot of people uh, wanting to talk to me about the documentary. And, and uh, I, yeah, I've always been treated really, really well. Like, it's, it's, it's always... It, I've often said the Queen fans are the best fans in the world. They're just... Are they different around the world? They all have the same love for the band and Freddie and um, the conversations are pretty close and it's just wonderful. Freddie used to call them the, um, the royal family because a lot, of the, um, <laughs> a lot of these fans would be front and centre or on their tours, on all their tours if they went to Amsterdam or wherever they, they'd be the... So they call them the royal family, but uh, I think that's affectionately being called. They all they're all the royal family now. But um, yeah, I think they're uh, absolutely. When I went to to London uh, 
to the UK for those two Queen conventions. Once, uh, the first time I went there, I was a guest, and the second time I went there to perform. Um, I felt as though I was meeting old friends that I hadn't seen for a while. I'd never met these people, but it felt like old friends or family. It was, um, it was really, it was a bit emotional too because the, it was senses overload because the entire Queen convention is just, it goes for a week. And they're just constantly, when you walk in the room, it's constantly there's Queen videos and Queen memorabilia and there's Queen songs. And I've met a lot of Freddie's friends and I've met a lot of the people that he's worked with over the years. So I just feel as though these are all just, we're just friends, you know. What's the hardest thing about when you are doing Freddie? Mm. What's the hardest part? I know you've got to put the teeth in. That was something I came up with when I was uh, working at Movie World because I had I used to do Austin Powers and I used to have these. So it was the very first thing I did just to, just to, to top off the look. That was difficult for the first couple of weeks uh, with the teeth in because uh, it was hard to, certainly hard to talk in, easy to sing with them because your mouth's generally open and, and stuff like that. That would be probably the hardest thing is, um, and I think you've got to know your strengths and your weaknesses as a performer. What's your strength? I think rock and roll. I love singing rock and roll um, because I love Roy Orbison too. I, lo- I love the, I love singing the ballads, but I think my strength is probably, probably rock and roll. I've often said to to, to sing rock and roll, you have to have a little bit of rock and roll inside you. <laughs> and I, I think what that means is if you have a look at the greats, they will be performing with gusto and, and heart if they're tired, if they're hungover or if they've got a bit of heartache, they will still go out there and deliver the performance. And that's that's rock and roll, you know. So um, I think that's probably – I'd like to think that's my strength. I really enjoy singing, um, you know, heart-moving, powerful rock and roll songs would you like to be known more as john blunt rather than freddie mercury um yeah of course um i know who i am and i think my i've got a really good circle of friends i'm always getting they always make fun of me and put me in my place and stuff like that so all my friends like i said i've got a very 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 good circle of friends have only known me as john blunt you know they know that the freddie mercury thing is just something i do and you know I do get called the Freddie Mercury guy. Like, there's a few people. Have you seen that Freddie Mercury guy? And they go, oh, "Well, this because there's a there's a few around." They, oh, John Blunt, yeah, the Freddie Mercury guy. You know, so that comes up a bit, but that's okay. That's fine. But you're doing a good thing, putting your God-given talents to use, and you're to be congratulated for that. Oh, thank you, mate. It's it, look, it's um, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. And I just love it when we finish shows and you go out and talk to people and. Uh, everyone's laughing and happy and it's such a horrible year that we went through in 2020 and it's nice to be able to just uh, make people happy and that's what uh, music does and and film and things like that is it's we're in the business of making people happy so I just want to um, wrap up with finding out I know there's the COVID problem but where yeah. are you planning to be over the next couple of months or throughout 2021 well funny thing is uh, myself and Wayne we decided that in 2020 we'd like to do more of uh, I guess grassroots gigs like all the places that we once we first started out it was like a not like not like a giving back it sounds a bit wanky but just just like, because um, we'd done the theatre thing and I was really burnt out. We played every theatre in Australia and I just got a bit burnt out. And I love the theatres, but sometimes they can be a little bit sterile because everyone's sitting down. The crowds are great. The crowds are absolutely unbelievable. And But there's nothing quite like playing a pub gig where everyone's just going crazy and having a great time and things like that. So we said, look, let's let's just do that. Let's just do that. Let's just do local shows, few in Sydney, maybe a couple in Melbourne. 
And when the COVID thing kicked in, we were like, we've made the best decision. Like, I, I, what a stroke of genius, you know, because <laughs> there's borders being closed and we've got all these all these shows locally and then everything shut down. So, um, so anyway, we uh, this year we we are basically that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot of a lot of pubs and clubs, and we'll be doing some bigger venues in Sydney and things like that. But it'll be interesting, as we've said at this first part of the interview, what happens in the next couple of months um, with vaccines rolling out and things like that. You'd hope that uh, things might return to a, a more normal. But if someone wants to find out about where you are, what do they do? Uh, we have a website. It's just killerqueenexperience.com. Uh, we are on Facebook and uh, I have a Twitter account. We've got an Instagram account, but mainly the, the website's the best place to go. The, we- the email goes straight to Wayne, but uh, yeah, killerqueenexperience.com. John Blunt, thanks for joining us over the bonnet. Mate, thank you very much and thank you for having me. It's been wonderful and um, looking forward to going and checking out this boxing ring that you're out the backyard. That'll be great. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, mate, thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Gympie Central Medical Centre. GMED is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick, ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions? When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the diagnosis right with Gympie Central Medical Centre. Contact them in Gympie on 54811873 or you can find them at 35 Excelsior Road. The podcast is also brought to you by Gympie Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cut to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam, even loose-fitting filling foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. They'll also help you get down and dirty with rubber flooring and mats, anti-fatigue matting, and they have industrial mats and rubber. Ah, not so squeezy. If they don't have it, Andrew will get it. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount and you'll receive 10% off the marked price. That's right, 10%. But that's only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show and you have to ask for your discount. We can't go without mentioning Luscious Licks, 100% fruit ice cream. You can find them at local markets and all sorts of events. They are a really delicious alternative to conventional ice cream. Plus, the good news is Luscious Licks is completely dairy-free, gluten-free, and with no added sugar because there's nothing added. And best of all, it's guilt-free because it's healthy and it tastes great. Look out for Luscious Licks in the pink marquee at a market or event near you. And finally, the show is brought to you by bepositive.com.au in Yandina. Bepositive.com.au is your one-stop shop for first-rate beekeeping supplies and raw honey. It doesn't matter if you're just a backyard beekeeping enthusiast, semi-professional apiarist, or just interested in bees. Check out Be Positive on the Sunshine Coast or on the net at bepositive.com.au for a wide range of beekeeping equipment and advice that's backed up by more than 20 years' experience. Be Positive also provide apiary services including swarm relocation, hive setups, and Steve is always ready to share a wealth of knowledge about proper beekeeping practices. To get started, check out the online shop at bepositive.com.au and they'll promptly ship orders Australia-wide.